you a fan of this podcast? Do you wish there was even more juicy content for you to sink your ears into? Well, there is. You can become a premium member of this podcast for $5.99 a month and get full access to an archive of over 50 bonus episodes. Additionally, we release a bonus episode every single month. That's a ton of extra content, including my personal interior design diaries, extra tips, my talking about trends, and so much more. Additionally, you'll be keeping us on the airwaves each and every week because your premium membership money goes directly back to making this podcast amazing. Check us out at affordableinteriordesign.com. Click on podcast to learn more and to become a premium member today. a high-end designer or a lot of money to get a luxe look be your own interior designer this is affordable interior design the podcast here's your host betsy hellman hi everybody it is so great to be back with you again this week i am joined by a very special guest so welcome to the podcast page thank you very much i'm so excited to be here well, I'm excited to have you, and I know our listeners will be excited once they hear a little bit more about you. So why don't you share who you are, what you do? Tell us more. All right. So uh, my name is Paige. I am a full-time content creator, business owner, and uh, my content kind of centers around a farmhouse that my husband and I bought about four years ago. And it was an absolute dumpster fire. <laughs> and so we have spent the last four years renovating it and renovating it kind of in the way that it would have been done when it was built. So we've been really focusing on trying to make it look historic and feel historic, even though almost everything we do is new. Yeah. And the thing that really drew me to you is, first of all, you have your own podcast, very yes. popular and filled with great details. But so many of my clients love the farmhouse aesthetic and mm -hmm. maybe even want to use some pieces that aren't just faux rustic, something new that looks old, but maybe something that is authentically old, but they're very intimidated. And so what I love about you is you have so many tips to share on how to incorporate pieces that truly have a history without yes. making the space look dated. Yes. So um, that is a huge part of kind of my style. I grew up with antiques. I love antiques. Um, there's a bunch of different reasons, which we'll talk about very shortly. But I have never wanted to live in a museum. That's never been my goal. And so when I pick antiques, and when I put them in my house, my goal is always to make sure that they're very functional, and they're very useful. They just happen to be 150 or 200 years old. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I think that's part of the reason it can feel intimidating. Also, sometimes these things need to be updated, refurbished, things like that. So, you know, when you're looking to buy something secondhand, maybe it's not as old as you mentioned, but <laughs> what should you be looking for? You know, I go into these consignment shops and thrift stores and it's hard to spot the gym. Yes. So the 
go on a little bit of a tangent here about why I shop secondhand. Part of it is just finances. Um, it took me a long time to figure out my style, a long time to figure out what I liked. And I felt a lot better about taking a risk on something if I bought it secondhand because it was almost always cheaper. And usually, you know, if, if I bought it from somebody, I can sell it to somebody. <laughs> so it was very easy to, to not really lose a lot of money while I was trying to find my style. But the other thing about buying secondhand, especially if you go about 1950 and earlier, is that you get a huge jump in quality of the furniture pieces compared to today. And a part of this, um, as a little bit of a history lesson, is that prior to the, the Industrial Revolution of the late 1800s, everything was made by hand. So you had one, one guy in his shop making his chair, and he was doing it to the best of his ability. In the Industrial Revolution, and I would say up until about the 40s or 50s, things were still made with that level of quality. They were just made faster. So that means there's a lot of them, and that means they're still pretty sturdy. So you can find very good pieces of furniture for not a lot of money. And that's a huge reason that I go uh, thrifting and antiquing is because I don't I don't want to go to Ikea and spend $300 on a side chair. I would rather spend $50 on a side chair and see if it's what I like instead. So when you're, when you're buying things secondhand, you really are looking for that quality. Uh, you're looking for that affordability. And then it also gives you kind of a, a uniqueness <laughs> that a lot of times if you're buying something, you know, mass manufactured today, you may not get that same kind of special feeling. <laughs> that totally. makes sense. Yes. It definitely lacks that special feeling today. You know, you don't want your whole house looking like Wayfair or looking like an old piece knockoff. But right. also sometimes I worry when I look around the stores, like, is this piece going to hold up? Is it going to smell? So how can I know what's going to be a good piece to take home? And then how can I kind of bring it to today's level? Yes. So there are obviously people who, you know, buy pieces that are completely trashed and totally redo them. And that's outside of like most people's, I think, wheelhouse when they start looking for thrifted things. So the first thing that you really want to avoid is anything that has visible pieces of the furniture missing. So if you have a leg that's broken off, if you have veneer that's missing, if you have a chunk bitten out of the top or something, if you have fabric that's totally shredded, it's not that you can't buy them. It's just that's not a great place to start. Um, the, the kind of sweet spot for finding things secondhand is finding somebody who doesn't know what they have and took good care of it. That's like the best, the best option. And it takes a little bit of looking for that. But to immediately discount things, it's like if it's broken, if there are pieces missing, if it's wobbly, um, if the fabric's torn, just kind of avoid that to start. Things that are not red flags are things like scratches. If you have a beautiful wood table and there's a big scratch down the top of it, but you can get it for 50 bucks, that is a very fixable problem. If you have um, uh, an upholstered chair, a lot of times these antiques have wood and fabric together. And at that seam, there's trim that they yeah. kind of just cover the upholstery nails with. If that trim is there, but falling off, 
totally fixable. A little bit of fabric glue and 10 minutes and you can put that right back and it's not a big deal. If the surface is kind of dry and dull and it, it's hard to explain until you see a dry piece and then you're like, oh, that's what it means. But it literally just looks like it needs moisturizer. <laughs> it's kind of chalky and dusty. Ashy. Yeah. Yes. Very ashy. It tends to get very gray. And that's the sign of really dry wood. But dry wood is extremely fixable. One of the, the best products out there um, is called Restore Finish. I think it's by a company called Howard's. And it's kind of an oil, a little bit of a stain, kind of a conditioner. And you would be amazed at how well that restores a finish, like the name says. <laughs> so Things like that where it's just cosmetic damage for scratches. There's another really great product called Old English. And um, I think you can buy it at like big box stores and yeah, Amazon. And, you know, it, it's very readily available. But you put a little bit of that on the scratch and it will actually stain the wood underneath it. So the scratch pretty much just goes away. It conditions it and it stains the wood. And, I mean, it's it's amazing what that stuff will do. <laughs> Now, one so thing you I find have... intimidating about that is like those two products you mentioned, do they have like different colors that you have to choose from? Because I get a little intimidated, like, am I going to choose the wrong brown? Yes. So they do technically have different colors. Um, it's it's pretty much just light and dark. Okay. So if you have anything that's um, a, a cherry or a walnut or a deeper brown, um, you know, if, if the piece of furniture could be considered a brunette, then pick the dark one. <laughs> if, the, if the furniture could be considered blonde, pick the light one. But for almost everything I, I do, I go with um, the, the darker version. And if you mess up, it fades in about six months. So you, oh. you do it, you're like, okay, that's too dark. And then you need to go back and recondition it again six months later, you can just pick the lighter one. And just on and a personal okay. note, I have yes. this vintage mid-century modern teak uh, hutch that's really beautiful. It came in multiple parts. So it's like two mm -hmm. different pieces that they like put together with a two by four, but it looks seamless. It really does. Just take my word for it. Yes. But they had it in a sunny spot. So where they put the pieces to kind of attach the top and bottom, it's sun stained. And so I can't ever move it from its current configuration, even though I'd rather kind of change it up. So mm -hmm. is there anything to do about like a sun stained piece or even like water damage where there's obviously a dark spot and a light spot? So this, um, <laughs> this is just a little bit of my personality, but another reason that I buy antiques is because I don't want to feel bad if I mess them up. <laughs> so if they come messed up, I'm like, Hey, someone saved me the work. So my house is for me to live in. My house is for me to enjoy. Um, and I've just, I have pieces that have water damage. I have pieces that have sun damage and I just kind of don't look. At them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so unfortunately I don't have any specific tips on that. Cause it's not something that I've ever like really addressed. Yeah. Uh, but if you search like how to get rid of water damage, how to get rid of sun damage, I mean, you'll come up with a thousand blog posts of, of different things. And I've heard for water damage, you know, try toothpaste and then scrub mm -hmm. it in and wipe it off. So this is another big factor and why I like not spending a lot of money on my furniture, because if I get something that's water stained, I get something that's damaged. 
I'm a lot more willing to try to fix it if I only spent $75 on the dresser. No, that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Now, you know, out here in New York, everybody knows what they have. So nobody's selling anything cheap. So I bought this amazing hutch for $1,600. I, you know, I'll probably just keep the two by fours where they are. Uh, yes. <laughs> but, but for my pier one table where we put the hot Chinese that condensated down, I'm going to try Googling. And also yep. I can, you know, as soon as you said that thirsty wood comment, I can totally see that my piece, that vintage piece that I spent a lot of money on needs moisture. Can yes. you for sure put that moisturizer, that restore finish on anything? Like so the the restore finish I would say um is kind of like a second or third step. The first thing I would try is actually this stuff called orange oil. It's a cleaner. Um there's a bunch of different brands that make it. It smells citrusy, but that is kind of a very mild cleaner and an oil in one. So oh. if the piece is not super dry and the finish isn't super bad, I will try the orange oil first. And then if I do that and I come back a day later and it still looks dry, um, I might even elevate to a wax. Howard's, who makes the Restore Finish, also makes this furniture wax that's just, it's just moisturizer, more concentrated. So if you have something really dry that needs a lot of moisture, the wax will help. And then if the wax doesn't, then you can try Restore Finish. So you're not going to ruin anything with any of these products. It may just take you a couple tries to figure out which level of restorative product you need for each piece. That makes right. sense. Right. Well, I like those different levels, like starting with the orange oil, exploring the wax, and then moving up. I think yeah. that that feels like something that I could kind of do, even trying it on the underneath, right? Yes. To see, did this solve the problem? Oh, okay. I'm ready to spend my time doing a, the yes. whole thing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's and the, the orange oil is extremely mild. If nothing else, it'll clean it and make it smell really good. And then you can see if that works. And then you just kind of have your little arsenal and, you know, we put this on scratches and we put this on really dry stuff and, and you don't, I mean, those are pretty much the four products that I use old English restore finish Howard's wax and orange oil. And I can save 95% of what I find on Facebook marketplace. <laughs> That's amazing. Now what about fabrics? Do you even go there with the fabrics? Like if there's a stain, how do you know what upholstered pieces are worth salvaging? So this is a very much a personal preference thing. Some people get really creeped out about the idea of buying vintage things with fabric because they're like, what if there's, you know, you always hear about bed bugs and what if it smells bad? And I, I kind of get blind to how pretty the piece is and don't really think about those things. I'm like, oh, that's a couch from 1835. I don't really care what the fabric is. I want it. But the biggest thing with fabric is if you have a tear, there's not really anything you can do about it. You can put pillows over it. You might be able to whip stitch it. But if there's a tear, it usually means the fabric is brittle and it'll probably keep happening. That hasn't stopped me buying things with tears in it, but it's just something to notice if you are kind of getting into this antiquing journey or thrifting journey. Now, if a piece does have a particularly musty smell or I just feel like, um, like I bought some things that I could just tell they're dusty, the best thing that I have used is a small carpet cleaner. So not like a, not like a full push carpet steamer, but a little handheld one. I think I have a Bissell one and the head on it's like two or three inches long. And so you can put a little bit of fabric cleaner in that water. 
you can spray down your whole piece and then you can kind of suck out that water and that will do wonders for for get, getting stuff clean. I do have one of those because I have pets. Very useful. And so I've got yes. my Yeah, I have pets and I have a husband who spills diet soda quite regularly. So, yes. so I have my visual <laughs> as well. Uh, I can't, I got it on Wayfair. I can't remember the exact name, but it was like the pet one. Um, yes. Because yes. we have an angry, an angry Siamese. Let's show her displeasure. Um, but it would also work for antique furniture. Yes, uh, it does. Yes. And so that's really good um, just to get out dust and dirt. You know, if, if you're really concerned about it, obviously you can have it reupholstered because a lot of these pieces, um, they, they're not pine frames like a lot of furniture is today. They're heavy, you know, oak and, and walnut and, and substantial frames so they can handle being reupholstered if you want to tackle that yourself or you want to take it to, to get reupholstered. But if you watch and you kind of start looking at what's out there, you can find some incredible pieces um, that really don't need much. <laughs> That's yeah, it's very exciting, especially if you're looking online, because like I said, in the New York area, it's so saturated here. Everybody knows exactly what they've got. They're going to charge you an arm and a leg, but I will go on Etsy. I'll see these amazing vintage pieces, but they're so far away. I'm like, this piece is in Michigan. I really want it, but there's just no way. Like I'm not driving there. I'm not paying someone. I, I don't even know how to get it here. And now it's time for a quick commercial break. Do you love this podcast? Do you wish you could learn even more? Well, we have an online class bundle. Our online class bundle is comprised of three online classes, Beautifying Your Home for Less, Styling Your Home, and The Fundamentals of Feng Shui. Each one of those three classes is between 30 and 45 minutes long and chock-filled with visuals and tips things that will help you to style your own space or help out with other spaces. Additionally, with the pack of three classes, you get an autographed copy of my book, Affordable Interior Design. You get all of that for only $99. Once again, that's the three online classes as well as the book for only $99. You just go to affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash classes to buy your bundle today. And if one of those classes sounded intriguing, but maybe you already have my book or some of the other topics are not of interest, you can buy the classes individually at that site as well. Each class is $40. So head over to affordableinteriordesign.com classes to get your bundle or your online class today. So how can we take advantage of those amazing deals now that they can be found online? So this was a discovery of mine when I purchased my dining room table, and it's one of the best things ever. It's called U-Ship, like the letter U and then S-H-I-P. And this is basically um, Uber for freight. So people who are transporting things, driving across the country and have extra room in trailers or in the backs of trucks, they will bid on jobs to move things for you. And it's, it is wonderful. So the table in my dining room, it's actually called a wake table (laughs) because the dimensions of it, um, it's from about 1850, 1860. The dimensions of it were appropriate for displaying somebody at a wake. That's just what it was. Yes. (laughs) Because in a lot of- Like laying out the body. Yes. Yes. Because a lot of these old houses, you know, especially we're out in the country, 
funeral homes weren't really a thing. Like it was, everything was in the parlor. So you would have this table that was big enough to serve as the wake table and also use as your dining room table. (laughs) Well, you know what's so funny about that is I was reading a book a few years back and living room, the term came because they no longer were going to have funerals or dead bodies in there. So they call it living room as opposed to parlor now. Because it was like a delineation. We don't do that anymore. We're a contemporary home. So it's living room now. I didn't know that. That is a fantastic piece of trivia. Yeah. So put your wake table in your living room. Yes. (laughs) So what happened with this table is I, I bought it for the kitchen and it ended up not, not fitting in the kitchen. So now it's in my dining room. Um, But I saw it and it was in New Jersey and I'm in Kentucky. And I was like, I'm not going to make a 15 hour trip to New Jersey to go get this table, but it was $350 and it's walnut and it's six feet by five and a half feet. It seats like eight people. It was this huge, amazing, gorgeous table, literally never seen anything like it. And I've been antiquing for a while. So I was like, how the heck am I supposed to get this here? So (laughs) in true fashion, I bought it on eBay and then decided I would figure out how to get it later. (laughs) Wow. But I was like, that was maybe a little bit of a backwards order of operations there. But then I found this company, U-Ship. And so what I did is I made a listing on there and I said, I have this table. It's going from this address to this address. Here's my budget. And I did set my budget a little bit higher than they recommended because I had it set low initially. And I got a bid from a guy who said he would put it in the back of a pickup and there was going to be rain. I was like, "Mm, I don't know about that. (laughs) So I think I paid $250 or $300 for them to pick it up in New Jersey and deliver it here to my house. So for $600 or so, I got this table. And every comparable listing I could find of similar tables had them like $1,000, $1,500, $2,000. So it was to me, it was a great steal, even though I had to pay so much for shipping. So if you have like a big metropolitan area, like say you're three hours outside of Philadelphia or something, and you find something that's great, you can have it shipped for just a little bit more. And you might be able to kind of offset some of those prices like you were talking about that you have in New York. Well, it really opens up the whole country to you in terms of where I could be looking You know, because I would just put my blinders on and be like, that's a nice to have, but it's never going to happen. Even new pieces, it's so liberating. Like I wanted this really big custom shelving unit from Etsy. It was going to come from like Idaho. It's not going to be worth it for me. But, you know, I'm not certainly going there and then to pay them and I don't even know. But this makes it seem so much more manageable. Right. Exciting. Yeah. And I mean, you'll have your budget, obviously, and and sometimes things may still be outside of your budget. But if you know I'm willing to spend this much, then you can look outside of your area for pieces that might be cheaper. Because like here in the Midwest, antiques are pretty cheap. We have a lot of them. I mean, I can get parlor parlor chairs for $30 all day long. (laughs) Don't rub it Um, in. That is so great. (laughs) I'm so jealous. Yeah. Yeah. You You know, speaking of... When you go into these places, or even when you're shopping online, is it okay to haggle? Is it okay to negotiate? I I don't know if it's expected, if it's rude. Is there a different protocol online than in person? Like, what does that look like? So the, the biggest thing about haggling is that you have to be okay with the price. 
And you also have to have a little bit of knowledge of how expensive things are in your area. Um, I think it was three years ago, and I still think about this chair. I saw this chair. Um, it was probably from about 1840. It was stunning. It's like, I really want that. The seller had it listed, I think, for like $170 or something. And I know from experience that those kind of chairs around here go from like, go for like 30 to 50. So I didn't even offer on that because I knew that that seller was so far out of the the realistic range that I was going to be insulting if I said, Hey, will you take 50 for it? Right. Now that being said for things that are not ridiculously priced, I assume that the seller has posted it about 20% higher than what they want to get. So I try to meet them about 20% lower. I don't lowball. Mm. I don't see something that's 200 and say, will you take 50? If I saw something I wanted that said that was 200, depending on how long it had been posted, if it's been posted for multiple weeks, I might offer 150. And then if they said we can do 175, I'd be like, good. If it was just posted and I desperately need it, I might not even haggle. Right. (laughs) Because the thing with haggling is you have to be willing to lose it. You have to be willing Mm -hmm. to either pay their full price or risk that they won't come down low enough. Right. And, you know, in person, is there, I just don't even know how to start that conversation. Okay. Got it. So we have a really, really great um, local antique fair here. It's in person. There's like a hundred vendors and we go every single month. And so I'm like, I I got this. (laughs) Basically you can go up to them and say, I see you have $30 on this. Would you take 25? And then they can go, well, you know, we had a lot of interest in that. So I'm, I'm going to leave it at 30. You can say, okay, thank you. And if you don't want it, you just walk away. You say, thank you very much. And if you, if you want a little bit of like a softer um, turn down, you can say, I'll think about it. And you put it down and you walk away. Um, but if you go up and you say, you know, you have 30 on this, will you take 25? And they go, yeah, I'll take 25. Then you pay them the cash and you take your thing and you go away. So it's just being very polite, not being a jerk about stuff. And there is also, <laughs> I kind of think of um, like antique and thrifting karma as a real thing. That if I just kind of get the sense that someone has already put priced this really low, it's really fair, um, I will just pay full price. And in my experience, that comes back in ridiculously good fines later. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and I'm sure they're very grateful to be able to avoid that step. You know, it's kind of a little win for them. But I think what I'm hearing is, you know, sometimes I'll look at a piece and be like, oh my gosh, that is so overpriced. And I'll want to offer for it. But I think leading with that, saying, you know, I know that this is worth X, could I get this instead? I loved how you kind of repeated their price versus kind of judging their price. So saying, I see that this is $30. Would you take this instead? So it's really not judgmental, not accusatory. It's open. Mm -hmm. But yeah. The worst that they can say is no. That's the thing. It's like, it it feels um, almost confrontational in a way that like when I first started haggling, I was like, oh, I don't want to like piss them off or offend them or anything. But it's like the worst they can say is no, I want full price for that. And then if that's the case and you're not willing to pay it, then it's okay. We we're not compatible with this sale, but the best case scenario, um, I, I heard of a woman once who she wanted this antique 
uh, bookcase and it had been listed for like nine months or something at $2,000. And she's, she actually said, I love this piece. I would love to give it a home, but really all I can do is 500. And the woman took it. No. Yes. <laughs> so she got this beautiful knockdown um, bookcase for $500. So if, I think if you keep it respectful, you keep it friendly, smile, you say, you know, this is a wonderful piece. I'm really interested in it. Would you take this amount? That'll get you pretty far. Well, and she then if they say emotional no. plea as well. I'd love to give it a home. Yes. I just love your piece so much. So kind of that complimenting, that nurturing before she yes. goes in with her. Yeah. But yep. you, how do you do that? On, of course, eBay has like bidding. So that's pretty clear. But how do you do that? Or do you do that on a site like Etsy? On a site like Cherish, right? Where you see yes. this piece. Is there room to negotiate? Can you message the seller? Or is that sort of just take it or leave it? Um, I mean, it, it's really a piece by piece basis. I tend not to use Cherish because um, they price on the high end of what I think is reasonable. That's and I, I much. So I hear you. Yes. I totally hear Yes. <laughs> and I know um, just because I've been buying things secondhand and on, you know, Facebook Marketplace and eBay and Craigslist for enough years, I know when I can find something similar for a better mm. price. So Cherish, I kind of avoid entirely mm. just for cost saving savings pur purposes. But again, you can always ask. They can always say no. You know, you can always message the seller and say, I'd really love this. Could you reduce the price? Um, a lot of times eBay has a make an offer section. Right. You know, and so you, you can do it that way. And that's kind of a eBay curated way to to do this haggling without having to do it. But it's, you know, it's a, it's a matter of how much it's worth to you. Is it worth the emotional discomfort to save $30 by asking them to lower their price? And there are times when I've wanted something from a seller that I can just tell is not going to be receptive and maybe is kind of rude. And I will just pay full price because I don't feel like dealing with them. <laughs> Totally. So we all know that person in the yes. antique shop who's scowling at you, yes. making sure you don't touch things. Yeah. yeah that's not the person. <laughs> yes. And unfortunately, a lot of times I will then kind of develop a grudge against that seller and not look at their stuff anymore. So I'm like, well, you weren't nice to me. <laughs> I get that. You know, but if, if you ask and you're respectful and you're polite um, and you don't try to lowball again, aiming for that like 20 to 30 percent below their asking price, if they get offended by that, in my mind, that's kind of on them. You're not being rude at that point. You're not asking for half. You're just assuming that they built some negotiation into the price. Yeah, I love that assuming that they're willing to wiggle 20 percent. That's a really yes. helpful figure that would give me a comfort zone so it's not insulting. Yes, yes. Do you have any feelings on auctions? So the difficulty with auctions is that you could get into a situation where you pay too much. So if if you're willing to pay $100 and somebody else is willing to pay $100, one of you is going to pay 110 which means one of you overpays. So I, I mm. will do auctions. Um, I will do some eBay auctions if I'm really, really committed to the piece. Um, I have one rug in this house that I had been looking for rugs 
and I hadn't found anything. And I found this auction. I said, okay, I'm willing to overpay for this because this is the perfect rug. Um, some people really like kind of the the thrill of the auction and, and, and driving up the price and kind of the emotional part of it. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. I thrift and I antique so that I can save money. And auctions are not always the best place to do that. Well, I couldn't agree with you more. My dad was an auctioneer, so I love auctions. Like I always have like one eye open. But every time I go to an auction, I overpay. Whether it's an eBay online auction, because you do get caught up in the moment. And then you kind of get into the win. It's almost like gambling versus getting into the value. And seeing how much somebody else wants it makes you want it more. Yes. So then I kind of lose my perspective. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of psychological stuff that goes on in auctions. And again, just because I look so often, and that's actually a great tip if you're trying to find something, I keep about five things in my head at once that I'm looking for. So maybe a table and a rug and a dresser. And I spend about five minutes a day looking on Facebook and Craigslist just to see if, just because if something comes up and you really want it, you want to be the first one to find it. Um, but being at an auction, you kind of lose that ability to really hone in on what you want because you've got this emotional like fight going on. And so I just prefer not to not to mess with it. <laughs> and everybody sees it at once, you know, yes. so whether it was released in a catalog ahead of time or online, you didn't get there first. Right. And so you're kind of just playing a more complicated, aggressive game. Yes. You're so I, I much prefer... Um, finding things on Craig, Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace or even at my antique fair, which I know those people go to auctions, they get them for cheaper and then they do charge me a little bit of a markup. But the markup is worth it for me to not have to fight with people. <laughs> right, right. And maybe they buy like entire lots and things. Yes. So that helps to keep it affordable for them. Well, this yes. has been so amazing. I know a lot of my clients certainly, and I'm sure our listeners get intimidated. You know, it's so much easier to click and buy from Crate and Barrel. Mm-hmm. So much easier to find something on Joss and Maine, but it won't have that quality. It won't have that integrity. Yep. And I do think there's something to having a little history, a little bit of yes. a, a little ghost inside your furniture that just somebody else used this in a slightly different way. It's the reason I adore old homes. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I don't necessarily want a dead body on my dining table. <laughs> Understandably. <laughs> But still, I'm intrigued. I'm going to go look up Wake Table right after this. So, Paige, thank you so much for being on my show. Uh, Please tell people where they can find you, where they can hear about your podcast like I did. Yes. So I have the podcast. It's called the Vernacular Life Podcast. We talk about antiques um, and a lot of kind of old-fashioned handicrafts, sewing, cooking, food preservation, um, basically anything that might go on in our turn-of-the-century farmhouse. And then you can follow along with our home renovation on Instagram at Farmhouse Vernacular and on our YouTube channel, which is also Farmhouse Vernacular. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm sure this will not be our last conversation, and I really appreciate all your tips. Well, thank you so much for having me. Of course, of course. Well, everyone, until next time, go forth and shop on your Facebook marketplace with confidence. All right, bye. asked for it and we have answered the call. For years you've been saying, Betsy, 
you're talking about all these great design concepts, but we can't visualize them. You're describing the picture that the listener sent in of their problem, and we wish we could see that picture too. After all, a picture is worth a thousand words, and I do my best to describe them, but there's nothing like seeing it for yourself. And that's why Affordable Interior Design, the podcast, now has a YouTube channel. Not only do we have a YouTube channel where you could see recordings and clips of these podcast episodes, we also have an Instagram, a Facebook, and so many other exciting things. You should check it out. Head over to affordableinteriordesign.com slash links. Once again, affordableinteriordesign.com slash L-I-N-K-S links. And when you go there, you will see links to our YouTube page, our Instagram page, our Facebook page, and more. Please check it out, follow and subscribe so you can see everything I'm talking about. A big thank you to our amazing producer, Catherine Heller, to Aton and the MBCR House Band, and to Affordable Interior Design, the sponsor of this podcast and the premier place to get an amazing look on a budget. Check out affordableinteriordesign.com. If you guys love the show, the very best way to support us is by spreading the word. Tell your friends or write us an awesome review on iTunes. So until next week, guys, thanks so much for joining us, and I'll talk to you soon. Bye.